DFS and betting podcast with your hosts Kyle Borgannoni and Matthew Betts. Welcome in, boys and girls of all ages. It's Cinco de Mayo here on the Fantasy Footballers DFS and betting podcast. I'm your host Kyle Borgannoni, and I am joined, as always, by Matthew. You better put on your big boy pants, Betts. I don't even know where to go with that <laughs> or why it's that go was time. said. But it's it, go time. it is go time. It is officially the summer of best ball, and it, it kind of feels right, you know, that it's Cinco de Mayo. We always talk about the best places to draft a best ball team on your phone. I love the evening. Nice little margarita on the deck on a mm-hmm, Friday night mm-hmm, mm-hmm. drafting a best ball team. I mean, come on. That's where it's at. So, yeah, happy Cinco de Mayo to everyone, and apparently it's a, you know, put on your big boy pants season. You know, my, my wife and I, we make a mean pineapple margarita. Ooh, Which, uh, yes, and, and uh, yeah, hopefully you're having a good weekend post-draft, but uh, things are getting towards the summer, and so what better thing to start talking about than the summer of best ball? We're rolling it out here. Today we're going to be talking about best ball strategy, and we're going to keep that ball rolling all the way to June 1st. And I wanted to make sure at the top of the show people realize all the things we got going on here at Footballers HQ, we have the ultimate draft kit. I mean, that's that's... That's the big thing, right? The, the ultimate draft kit is our child, our collective love child for the entire company, correct? That is correct. And there is a ton going into it this time of year. It really does feel like when the calendar turns to May, like all of a sudden it's like, wow, <laughs> okay, it's time. You know, best ball rankings, best ball primer. I mean, the guys are statting out all the players, which helps us in our process. So there's just a lot of things happening, working together behind the scenes, which, uh, I mean, I feel like we say it every year, but I think this year's UDK is going to be the best one yet. Yes, and we have some new things coming, especially to the DFS pass that uh, I'll get to tease more and more throughout the summer. I mean, we are upgrading this thing on a whole new level. So ultimatedraftkit.com, if you want to be a part of that, Ultimate Draft Kit Plus. I wanted to start off kind of putting a bow on the NFL Draft. We did our NFL Draft reactions uh, we talked about it on the Dynasty podcast. Like we, we've talked about it from the fantasy angle. But you and I are a betting show. So there's a lot that happens after the draft that I think a lot of people don't realize. You know, this team improved. And, you know, here's what we can think about for fantasy. But the lines and the win totals is what we care about. So I want to give you some movement from when the lines open for win totals for NFL teams. And some of them that it moved in the last couple of weeks to even last week. So... Here's a couple that are on DraftKings Sportsbook. Houston went from 5.5 to 6.5, which that's pretty wild to me. We can discuss that. My Atlanta Falcons went from 7.5 to 8.5, which I think 8 is a really good line. Um, That's where I think it'll probably settle. Uh, The Ravens predictably went up to 9.5 once we got the Lamar news. And then the Cardinals dropped to 4.5 wins and the Commanders to 6.5. So, of those big movements after the NFL draft, some of it before, can we just talk about the Texans? A six that, and a half win total. That's the one that stuck out to me as well. Uh, five and a half felt right. Six and a half feels like there's something I'm missing. I don't, I don't understand why it went up a full win. Uh, you know, we'll see these move over the course of the summer 
based off how much money comes in on over the over or the under, you know, it'll move for a lot of teams by, you know, the juice will move or it'll just move by a half win. It's very rare to see a full win, especially on the over for a team like the Texans who will they be better than last year? Probably. But we talked a lot about the rookie trends for quarterbacks on the last episode last week, specifically when you and I were looking at the prop market for season long for Bryce Young and CJ Stroud. And you mentioned with the win totals with Carolina, you know, and rookie quarterbacks, a lot of these either push or hit the under the room to go over is very, very thin for this Houston Texans team. So I don't understand the live movement. I'm happy to go the opposite direction and take the under on six and a half. Yeah. Right now it's minus minus one thirty, So I think it'll eventually get up to minus minus one fifty. To, or to the point where they're going to have to move the line because that that just is so rare. I don't think people realize how big a, an entire win is when they set these markets. So the Texans are kind of the big outlier to me in the movement. But I wanted to get your take on any teams that you just feel after the NFL draft. I was leaning, you know, I was leaning a certain way before. Like, okay, here's where their total was. Here's what my schedule adjusted wins look like. And then after the draft, it kind of solidified. Maybe other teams in their division. So. You and I are pretty much lockstep about the team that you chose, the New England Patriots. Yes, I like their under 7.5 wins, which I found on DraftKings at even money. Um, I feel like a lot of the, the ones I like this year are even money or plus money, so I, I kind of like that. But uh, it's, it's great value, in my opinion, when you look at the alternative markets. So before we even talk about what they did in the NFL draft, let's just look at the other markets on DraftKings and what they're telling us. So the odds to make the playoffs, it's a yes or no market. No is minus 295 for the Patriots. That is a 75% implied probability. So the books are telling us it seems very unlikely that New England is making the postseason. And when you think about the postseason, these teams oftentimes have to win nine plus games, sometimes 10 games. So there's a very good chance they're not winning nine or 10 games. So maybe they win eight games. Maybe they win nine games to make the playoffs. Okay, let's look at their division. Do they have a chance in this AFC East, which, oh, by the way, has Josh Allen, a really good Miami offense that now brings in a new defensive coordinator and Jalen Ramsey and all these sort of things. And some guy named Aaron Rodgers just joined the division. Is Vegas giving them a chance? Plus 800 to win the AFC East means an 11% implied probability, a.k.a. Vegas is telling us they're not winning that division. So you look at these alternative markets, they're telling us the team is going to be bad. I will take under 7.5 just based off those things alone. Then let's talk about what they did in the NFL draft. I love the round one selection of Christian Gonzalez. He was a guy that was probably, I think most people would say, seemed like a lock to go top 10, top 15. They traded back and still got him at a really good value. The cornerback out of Oregon addresses a major need for the team. However, fast forward to the weekend, they trade up for a kicker, Kyle, and then double down and say, hold my beer, watch this. Let's take a punter as well. When they have holes all over the roster. So those two decisions were just uh, head-scratching when you throw in the fact that this team has this tough division, has holes on the roster, has quarterback uncertainty in Mac Jones. There's turnover with the new offensive coordinator. They have no weapons. I just find it tough to see the path for success for New England when you're looking at the, the entire ecosystem of this team. So give me the under at even money. Yeah, I... I- on my schedule adjusted projections, they were right at seven and a half. So whenever I get a number like that, I'm always going to lean towards the under. I'm never going to lean towards the over. And that division is so tough. I want to stay in that division and talk about the Jets because for a long time, we didn't have the Aaron Rodgers news and their total just sat at nine and a half, which is impressive by the books to be able to lay a line without having the solidified news of Aaron Rodgers. Then he does go there. 
The line stays at 9.5, but now it's juice. It's at minus 145. But the thing about the Jets, they have a fourth-place schedule because they were uh, not that great last year, including games against the Texans, Falcons, and Browns. Okay, so that's the ones they add. When I walk through their schedule and I give them some pretty pedestrian numbers, you know, they go 500 in the division. I'm not, I'm not saying they're, they're going to, like, you know, kill it, but let's say they go 3-3 three and three in that division. Let's say they go 2-1 and one in those fourth-place games. Like, you're getting close, but it, there's a lot that we still have to project about the Jets. They're exciting. Aaron Rodgers is exciting. I actually don't know if this offense is good. Because the last time I saw Aaron Rodgers on a football field, his offenses were terrible, okay? And I'm just going to – you can compare the weapons. Like Garrett Wilson, we would say, is way better than Christian Watson. But it's still Alan Lazard, okay? McCole Hardman, who honestly doesn't really do much from a, you know, team perspective. Like, he may look like you can get some gadget plays. Corey Davis, I think they should cut, and they will cut to save $11 million. And then their return to Brees Hall. So, I guess I'm a little bit skeptical of why – I mean, I get why the public likes this team so much, but I could just as gladly see the case of taking it under. Yeah, the narrative around the team is, you know, this defense is elite. You know, look at this this secondary with Sauce Gardner and all these guys that they have. Let's just drop Aaron Rodgers in and print money. It's going to be success, right? And that's the general thought process, which I do understand. Don't get me wrong. But when you're laying minus 145 on an over, you have to feel very confident in it and to me, this is just a stay away. If this was like minus 120, minus 110, fine. I understand it. But to me, at 9.5, there's no way I'm taking the over at minus 145. Listen to some of their home games that they have out of the division. So they're already playing the Bills, already playing the Patriots, already playing the Dolphins. Those are going to be tough games. The Chiefs at home. The Chargers at home. Your Eagles at home. I mean, that's that's a gauntlet that they have to go through considering they have a fourth-place schedule. And then on the road the Cowboys, the Giants, like it's not an easy schedule considering it's a fourth place one. So I, I came into this saying, oh, the Jets, they're over. It makes sense. But when I walk through the schedule, it, the question is how many wins is Aaron Rodgers worth? And I was just surprised that the books were able to be so sharp beforehand, uh, not knowing that move. And there hasn't been as much movement as possible. But coming soon, just, just so people know, a win totals spectacular. I mean, Ooh. it's an extravaganza. Everyone's that, talking about it, man. It's, I mean, it's coming up. I mean, we just named it the other day. So <laughs> everybody is, everybody's talking about it in the uh, Google Docs. But we will be going through the entire NFL. So usually we used to do an AFC episode, NFC episode. We want to make sure you get prepared for best ball. And then we said, hey, we have to go through every single team. So the schedule is going to be released next week on May 11th on, thir- uh, on a Thursday. And then the week after, you and I will walk through. And I'll give you a little tease here. This might be spicy here. I kind of like the Kansas City under. Am I crazy? You are a sick individual, is what I'll say to that. We'll talk about it, and I'm sure you have great rationale, but if I remember one thing in the last two years of doing, you know, or three years, I don't even know what it's been, of doing these series of shows, Kyle, it is the image that you always put in the dock of Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes and the cartoon, I can't think of the cartoon's name, but we always put it there because of the mustache, and I always just associate that image with the over. So do you remember what I'm talking about with the cartoon? Yeah, yeah it's from Monsters University. It's kind of right. like yeah. the the the, uh, the fraternity brother who ends up marrying the mom. Um, it, I'll, I'll tweet it out. It's, it's, it's pretty fun. But It's so good. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I have a bad history of bad, uh, betting against Travis Kelsey. I'm just going to say that. 
that man has just lost me so much money over the last like five years because I keep waiting for the bottom to fall out. I keep trying to go against them. We'll talk about Kelsey today because in best ball, uh, if you didn't have him this past year, I'm sorry. And I was one of those people. But if you want to get all of our rankings, they're in the ultimate draft kit plus, like Bet said, best ball, best ball rankings. It's going to be a good time. Let's talk about it. Best ball bonanza. you're not playing best ball you're sitting on the sidelines like not only did you not get picked but like you're basically just sitting there twiddling your thumbs at school and I mean this is recess we get to play it's summer and you get to hang out with your friends so I mean how could you not love best ball right how could you not I mean it is seriously awesome I love it I used to be like kind of lukewarm on it not gonna lie but it is crazy how much this form of fantasy has grown in the last two years, even maybe three years, think back to like best ball mania one, right? When it was this uh, smaller field final tournament with 200 K up top. Now we're looking at a prize pool of $3 million to first place. People are drafting teams every single day, even in like, you know, March, April, and the NFL season is months away. So it is crazy, but I love it. And I actually love it for not just what it is as its own platform, but how it helps me form my opinions and takes as we get closer and closer to the season. I apply it to betting. I apply it to season-long props, DFS, all those sort of things. So big part of our process here. Yeah, and you get to hang out. You get to have a summer crew. You know, like the, just this is my crew and I'm hanging oh, out the with. the Discord channel, dude, it is popping in the summer. I it, it mean, it's, it's a best ball, best ball group you want to be a part of. I forgot to mention this. I mean, this is a big deal. I'm, an, I'm a dummy. Uh, our best ball rankings and primer will be in the UDK app this year. So oh, yeah, that is new. So you can kind of draft that way. You can kind of go back and forth if you want to. Bets and I play a lot on Underdog. You can also play on DraftKings, uh, another one of our sponsors. Like you can, you can play best ball. Trust me. There's there's different ways. You can even do best ball leagues on Sleeper. But today's episode is not just introducing best ball, but talking about some of the best practices. Next week we will be talking about best ball 2.0, which is the game theory like how do you approach this knowing what other people are going to do i cannot tell you how many texts i get or messages or dms that just say who should i pick next and it's hard for me to ever answer that question in best ball because there's so many other factors of what have you already done what is the rest of your room doing with best ball what kind of tournament is this a tournament is this a 12 person yeah, there's so many aspects. So you and I will talk about all of those things for the next couple of weeks until our best ball rankings are live June 1st in the ultimate draft kit. But I want to mention this at the very beginning and we'll keep saying this word. But to me, the number one way to explain best ball is that there's an opportunity cost to every single decision you make. So when you draft somebody at a certain spot, you may say, this is a great pick. I like this player. But it's also saying, what are you giving up? What are you not having on your team when you don't draft this player. So I, I feel like I can't emphasize that enough. So do you want to explain any more about this is about opportunity cost? Yeah, it's a huge factor. And if you look at a lot of the data over the last couple of years, there's a lot of folks in the industry and our, and ourselves included that look at advance rates, win rates, what they tell us about certain players. And a lot of times you need to ask yourself the question, what does this player have to do at their ADP to be a good best ball pick? Yeah. Travis Kelsey is a great best ball pick. Of course, he's going in the first round. Like those are the obvious selections that you, I don't want to say you can't mess up because of course 
you know, people have different takes on certain players, but like those are the locked in guys that are just, they're the dudes, right? But like, how do you understand, you know, what a round eight guy has to do to be optimal for your team versus a round four guy has to do, right? Like thinking last year, Jalen Hurts in the sixth round right now sounds absolutely silly. But in the sixth round, the opportunity cost of taking him was way less than someone like Josh Allen who was going in like the, the 2-3 turn. What Jalen Hurts had to do last year to beat Josh Allen as a sixth round pick was way less. So he's if they scored the same fantasy points, Jalen Hurts, because of his opportunity cost as a sixth round pick, was an incredible, incredible best ball selection. Obviously, fast forward a year later, we know what he did in fantasy. He was incredible. So opportunity cost is everything in best ball. And there's a lot of research and data that will show you if you are able to get guys throughout the course of the summer at better ADPs, you know, early in the process or, or what have you, that is really, really good for win rate. So opportunity cost, we're going to talk about it over the course of the summer. ADPs mean everything in uh, in best ball. It's a big, big factor. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about at the end of this episode, some closing line value you can find with certain players, including possibly my favorite player right now for 2023 that Betts is going to mention as well. Yeah, it comes down to what are you giving up in a tournament, though, like Best Ball Mania, you are also considering how can I get leverage against not only the 11 other people in my league, but the entire field, right? The 500,000 people I'm playing against, you are thinking about that with the game theory. So, for instance, last year, I decided to make a couple of stances, you know, of just here's what I'm going to do on my teams, and I'm going to draft a ton of teams, but... I'm going to consciously be overweight Justin Fields. I know that everyone was pretty down on him last year uh, because his rookie year was rough. Like, they didn't throw the ball enough. And honestly, if you would have looked at the first couple seasons or first couple games last year, you would have said it was the same exact thing, right? With the Bears, they were horrible, and then they decided to just let him do his thing, you know, week six, week seven. So I was overweight the field on Justin Fields, who I can't remember the ADP, what, like QB 14, QB 15? Does that sound about yeah, right? If I remember correctly, he was going somewhere in like round 10, 11, 12, somewhere around there. Yeah. With that decision, though, I decided I'm going to have him be my highest exposure quarterback. And so that's where it was at the very end. It also kind of was hedging against some of my Trey Lance stuff, which uh, let's just warn people. We've lost money on Trey Lance in a lot of different markets, right? Betting, best ball <laughs> of the last two years. Are you ready to get hurt again? Who has lost more, us or the Niners? That's a really, really good question because <laughs> it's close, man. That, that guy has just burned a hole in my pocket, Mike's pocket, um, only for upside. And that's the best part about best ball is you're shooting for upside. You don't get it. But Fields was a player. I was overweight and, be, and I was conscious of it. And you would say, wow, that was a really good decision because everyone else was probably underweight where I was just overweight. But I also made this conscious decision. If everybody's drafting Kat, Travis Kelsey, you know, in the first round. I am going to be underweight, and I'm just going to assume, based on drafting, that I could be wrong. I had him in a couple spots, but I was very, very wrong. Very, very wrong, and I was buried for it. I would say it was probably one of my worst years for best ball. I did really great in 2021, but those are the kind of decisions you have to make in order to play with a in a tournament style, which is super fun, and we'll talk a lot about that. But I think the best way to explain this to beginners is this gives you a living breathing look at ADP and I think people don't realize how much things change or how much people assume this is just where this player goes and they just kind of end up staying there but in best ball you get to see why players go a certain ways so like right now Bijan 
you were just in a draft, and where did he go? He went fifth overall. And what was your reaction to that? I mean, his ADP is like eighth overall, so it, I'm not shocked by any means. But I remember uh, I did a couple of like the super flex formats and a couple early drafts before the NFL draft, and he was going like early round two, sometimes like you know the 111, 112. So lands in Atlanta, incredible spot. We know they want to run the ball over and over and over again. He's going to be a top eight pick every draft that you're in. So, yeah, that just was a little bit of a surprise, I guess, compared to where he was going. But we shouldn't be surprised based off the hype, draft capital, et cetera. And we're never going to say this person's a bad pick. I mean, there might be a couple players out there that you're just like, oh, I just I can't imagine drafting this person. Bijan can pay off at his draft cost. Like, he totally can. So when somebody asks, is Bijan a good pick at, you know, the 108? It's like, I, I don't know that there's so much to best ball because you're not adjusting your lineup at all that players can pay off. But we we look at a lot of time. This is what a player has to do in order to pay off. Or this is what they have to do in, uh, in regards to the rest of the running backs. Those are things that we talk about a lot. And I want to give a shout out to Papa Josh. He's our community manager. Last year was the first year of him playing best ball. He listened to our podcast. He sat right next to me every day. Our desks are right next to each other. And he would just ask me questions you know, about how he's doing. Is this okay? Is this the right strategy? How do I stack? All of those things. And Papa Josh did pretty good. He was in the final group for uh, one of the puppies. Yep. And he said it was so much fun. He loved drafting with the Foot Clan. And so Papa Josh deserves some shout outs for doing that. And then also, little tease, later on this summer, I've already told Josh we're going to give him a little interview when we talk about best ball in July to oh. talk about how do you how do you take your game from – understanding best ball kind of an elementary level which he, he would say that to how do i play this long term how do i keep building off of what i do so josh is going to get to do that later on the summer one more thing before we talk about the nitty-gritty talk to everyone about building a per- portfolio and how important this is for best ball well first it makes you sound super smart obviously yes yes um i'm building a portfolio you know round one here my round four guys over here uh but in all seriousness we are, and especially if you're drafting a lot of teams, like if you're only going to draft five, six, seven, like do your thing, have fun, take your shots where you want to take them. But if you are trying to take this seriously, build a bankroll and make some money off of this, um, you need to have a portfolio approach because let's be real. What we think is going to happen in May from you know now till December when we get to week 17 and all the money is paid out, chaos happens in the NFL. We talk about it in DFS every week. So you need to be willing to be wrong on some guys. You also need to understand that you want to take shots where it makes sense. And you also want to try to get contrarian players in your build, especially for things like Best Ball Mania, uh, DraftKings does the Million Maker style, uh, Best Ball Leagues, things like that. Like You want to be able to have exposure to a bunch of different teams, a bunch of different stacks, and kind of marry, I think, roster construction with the understanding of you want to embrace the game theory of it and you know draft guys right now that you think are great values that might be fades in August when their ADP changes. So it is an evolving market that you need to be willing to take stance, but also understand like you're going to be wrong, right? One example in my head, this was a personal bias last year. I think back to uh, the hall of fame game, right? Everyone said they're running Josh Jacobs into the ground in the hall of fame game. This is bad news. They signed a couple of guys. They brought in a couple of draft picks at running back. They declined his fifth year option. Dude, I drafted like, two teams with Josh Jacobs. Like I was a full on fade. I was wrong. I, I, like, and I paid for it. I didn't have a great 
season in best ball because I had zero Josh Jacobs. He was an incredible pick in best ball. So you need to have that portfolio approach. Do not get take clock. Do not get stuck on this is what I'm going to do every time because it will burn you in the end. Yeah, just to put some numbers to Josh Jacobs, he had a, we'll talk about this more, he had a 46% advance rate. That's incredible. Cooper Cup, his 2021 season, we'll talk about that, it was almost 50%. So 50% of the teams that had Cooper Cup just made it through because he was a one-man wrecking crew. And Josh Jacobs was such a value. So it really does matter. It really does matter when you get to certain points of the draft because you'll find yourself drafting the same players, Michael Pittman, at like the 2-3 turn last year. Oh, man. I was looking at some data about Michael Pittman's win rates. Oh, don't even. Don't share I, it. I can't. I can't even say it. I won't. And luckily, I got to diversify a little bit and save myself from some losses. But before we go any further, let's take a quick break. Just so people know, I just got done playing a game of pickleball before the show. And... I, you know, I changed my shirt, but I'm still in my pickleball gear with my headband and I'm just not sweating as much. Like I actually feel like pretty normal. I'll take a shower after this, but like, I mean, this isn't great for podcasting, but visually I'm feeling pretty cool right now. I think it works. You look good, man. I I got, I got a Nike headband on, got my fantasy footballer shirts. (sighs) Feels good. Feels good to pickleball and then podcast. We have really tough jobs, by the way. (laughs) You sound very stressed, uh, Kyle. I I feel very stressed, especially talking about roster construction. So, best Ooh. ball roster construction, people ask all the time this question, Bets. Should I take this player or that player at this spot? And I just want to crumble and just say, I don't know. I really don't know. Because it's impossible to answer that because of the rest of your roster. I just mentioned Cooper Cup a couple years ago. His ADP was 42. So, people were getting Cooper Cup in the fourth round. He was arguably the best best ball pick of all time. Okay, just unbelievable, incredible. But 50% of the teams with Cooper Cup did not advance in best ball. So the rest of your roster matters. You could have Cooper Cup and him keep putting up an historic season, and if the rest of your roster was trash or you rostered five quarterbacks or, I don't know, four tight ends, like you totally screwed yourself. So what do we mean by roster construction bets? Yeah, so this is you just take player takes out of it at this point. With this segment of the show, what we're talking about, you know, in order to have a legit chance to win your league, to advance to the next round, you need to have the bones in place, the structure, the foundation of the house to have a successful season. What I mean by that is how many quarterbacks are you taking, how many running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends. A lot of the data, we'll start with quarterback, will show you you got two options and you don't want to get cute. It's two or three. If you take one, unless you have that guy who just goes crazy and sets sets the league on fire and you got him in like round eight, then yeah, sure, it could work. But if you take four and you're like, oh, I'm going to take these crazy values late, it's a onesie position. You just don't need more than one score every week. And so a lot of the data is consensus across the industry. Two or three quarterbacks is best. Last year, it seemed like two quarterbacks uh, had a better regular season advance rate than three QB builds, but some of the three QB builds did really well in tournaments. So I'm still going to have exposure to both those styles. It's a matter of where you take them, right? Like if you take, you know, Jalen Hurts right now is a second round pick. If you take Jalen Hurts in round two, you're counting on him to be a top three quarterback. You probably don't need to load up on Desmond Ritter, Kenny Pickett, and I don't know, 
who are who, another random quarterback in like round 17. It doesn't make any sense, right? So be mindful of your construction of quarterback. At running back, five or six seems to be optimal. Of course, some teams do okay with four or seven, but there are drafts that I'm in, Kyle, where I see people that they are just, the T cannot be higher. It is the highest T approach. They're taking seven, eight running backs. You only need to start two, especially on underdog. And if you have these, you know, excess guys, they're just dead spots in your lineup every week. So you don't need that many of them. So what I found is between five and six seems to be right. There are two options that I tend to subscribe to. You can take running backs early. If you like the Bijans of the world and Christian McCaffrey, great players, that's fine. But you can't also take a lot of running backs because what you're saying in that scenario is I'm taking Christian McCaffrey. He's staying healthy this year. He's going to have a great season. So if you're taking four or five guys, you know, in round 10 or later, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to keep loading up on running back. On the flip side, if fewer running backs is better, more wide receivers is even better, right? Because you think about, you got to start three. We talk about that flex position. I think it's okay to have some running backs that make up your flex score, but a lot of the times you want it to be wide receiver and especially an underdog. Those wide receivers get pushed up the board real quick. So if you miss out on those guys, you're stuck behind the eight ball. So six to nine wide receivers and then tight end, kind of like quarterback, it's two or three. And again, you want to follow the pattern of, of what you're taking. So if you're taking Travis Kelsey in the first round, you're taking him to stay healthy, to be the tight end one, to be the Travis Kelsey we've seen for the last eight years. So why are you also taking, you know, the rookies that are late and a random fourth tight end? It doesn't make sense. You don't need to do that, right? So two or three quarterbacks, five to six running backs, six to nine wide receivers, two to three tight ends is the skeleton to build your roster from. Yeah, and it, you can have variations on all this stuff. So like Betts, Betts is saying, like, you can have a super – you know, low T approach and say, you know what, I'm just going to get 10 wide receivers. You can have the robust RB and say, you know what, I want seven. It can work. Any of these can work. We're just saying you need a framework when you're going in as you're acquiring players to say, okay, you know, my last couple picks, I'm going to probably fill up my roster with a couple of players that I like, you know, my third tight end or my third quarterback, wherever. You can win with any strategy. You really, it just kind of comes down to the players in the strategy, but you need to go in having some type of framework not forcing it, though. You're not going and say, this team is going to have three quarterbacks before I start drafting. You just kind of get to roll with it. Last year, Pat Corain, who won Best Ball Mania 3, his three quarterbacks, did you did you know who were, was on his roster? I think it was Tom Brady, an, Daniel yes. Jones, and I forget uh-huh. the third one. Tua. Tua, that's right. It, like, you wouldn't say any of those killed it. Daniel Jones was fine in end of season, and he had a couple spike games, including the end of the year. Two had spikes at the beginning of the year, and Brady was really not that good. But when you couple those together, you can kind of sort it out, and he had a bunch of other hits on his roster, which is why he won at the very end. We'll talk about that more next week, about playoffs and playoffs and underdog and how you approach that. But any roster construction can work. But so far this year, are you noticing any new best ball strategy changes? Based on ADP, like what is the field doing differently than maybe they've done before? Yeah, so if I remember correctly last year, we had talked a lot about the data from the previous two seasons showing this kind of round like 6 to 10 range was a sweet spot for quarterbacks because if you were using a second-round pick on Mahomes or Josh Allen or whoever it was last year, they had to be incredible to pay it off. But you could take shots on these guys going in you know, the 6 to 10 range, and a lot of times in previous seasons, 
because they were less of an opportunity cost, which we had brought up at the start of the show, they didn't have to do as much to be a great best ball pick. Fast forward a year later, we saw guys just absolutely smash at ADP and the elite quarterbacks smash at ADP, thinking about guys like Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, Pat Mahomes. You know, these guys are just separating so far away from the from the field. Uh, speaking of field, Justin Fields last year, right? So we're seeing a trend where these quarterbacks that are the elite of the elites are getting pushed up to the board to the point where currently as it stands, we have three quarterbacks going inside the top 20. That's the first time I can remember that happening ever. It's Josh Allen, Pat Mahomes, and Jalen Hurts. So if you want one of those elite guys, you can get them, but you are going to pay a, a pretty penny for them. So what I found myself doing currently right now is I'm probably only taking those guys if they fall past ADP right now. And I'm targeting kind of this tier two of Justin Fields, Lamar Jackson, who I, I absolutely love this year, and the Joe Burrows of the world that are kind of sitting there that you don't have to burn a top two pick on, but they all provide at least similar upside, specifically Lamar Jackson does at that QB five price. So elite QB is getting pushed up the board like crazy. And I wonder if we do see, you know, two, three, four of these guys fail for whatever reason, whether it's injury or performance or what have you. I wonder if these three quarterback builds because the opportunity cost is so low later, if they might end up being more optimal this time next year. Yeah. I really need to test just how teams look and, you know, I'll get some people to do some simulation. I'll get some Matt DeSorbo simulations on this, but run the numbers, run the numbers. I, I just, I'm curious because, you know, Patrick Mahomes 18th overall, what does he need to do to be a must have player? I mean, that's, that's for a player that doesn't run as much. Yeah. I mean, he's got to throw, he's got to do what he did last year, which was, I mean, he can do it anytime. He subsequently feels he's incredible, but he needs to, have a season like he did last year to pay it off. So yeah, and, and honestly, like a lot of people that are taking Mahomes right now, they're targeting him because they already have Kelsey on their roster. So you're going one, two, Kelsey Mahomes. That stack has to do so much for you, and and obviously it can. It's Pat Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. But we're saying that opportunity cost right now is so high. I'm not saying don't draft those guys. Just understand what you're saying when you take those guys. Yeah, I'm gonna sit more with the game theory approach of it because. Based on how the field is looking at this and the way that they're talking about it is a lot how we talked about tight ends. You have to have an elite tight end. That was kind of the strategy where people said they had to have Kelsey, Andrews, or Kittle for a while. And I think that's kind of going to be the the main mode that people go in. The status quo is you take one of these top six guys. And I'm really liking where I can get players like Justin Herbert, who's just a little bit further down. He's sliding a little further. And the touchdown variance was not great last year. I think him and Burrow can kind of flip-flop of who's going to have a 35-plus touchdown season. You're also factoring in injuries, right, of any player, knowing that in best ball you're not managing them. So that's kind of the case. You're not betting on injuries. You're not hoping for injuries, but you know that that's a part of the game. Here's what I'm finding this year with quarterbacks being pushed up. It's creating a void where somebody has to get pushed down, right? And I'm finding that the running backs that we would usually say start the dead zone, you know, rounds three and four, is it okay to say that I really like these guys? Like, let me let me list you some guys in a draft that were going in the third round of best ball. Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, Derrick Henry in the third round, Brees Hall, Ramondre Stevenson, Travis Etienne, and then Jameer Gibbs in the fourth round. I find that all of those running backs, I could see a case to be top five, and you don't have to draft him there. 
So I'm liking that tier of running backs more than I thought I would. In the past, I didn't. So it just seems like you can zig if everybody else is hitting quarterback there. Yeah, there's a lot of good running back values. Like you just mentioned, all those guys going where they're going are intriguing picks that I'm not sure what will happen over the course of the summer, but right now those ADPs look incredible. And I agree with you. I mean, if I can get one of those guys in round three as opposed to having to take them in the top 12, which last year you had to do for a guy like Derrick Henry, I like that, you know, um, and that goes back to opportunity cost. So what I found myself doing early on in best ball season is trying to not avoid the running backs. Like if Christian McCaffrey falls to me at pick six, like I'm taking him. But if I take an elite wide receiver, I have a lot of comfort, uh, comfortability in my mind. Like, okay, when I get to round three, there's probably going to be one of these elite quarterback or running backs, excuse me, still on the board, which is not the normal. So people are moving those wide receivers up. They're moving the quarterbacks up. And yeah, these values in round three and four, that dead zone might not be so dead this year. I'm not sure. Let's talk about win rates and advance rates. It's a term that we use a lot, and there's lots of different ways to look at it and lots of different data providers. So, you know, you can look at best ball 10 draft data. You can look at underdog draft data. You can look at DraftKings. So when we talk about win rates in general, what we're saying is how often was a player drafted and where they were drafted. So it comes back to what we always talk about with opportunity costs an advance rate for underdog specifically is just saying, did this team win their league or get in the top two to advance further into the playoffs? Okay, so advance rates are calculated by taking the total nine, uh, total number of times a strategy was used. So, you know, what's the advance rate of rosters with four quarterbacks last year, or what's the advance rate of somebody using Josh Jacobs, uh, and you divide that by the number of rosters. Okay, so it it, it really matters you know, where they're drafted and how often they're drafted. Some players can have a really good advance rate. So for instance, Geno Smith was awesome last year. Okay. In best ball mania, his advance rate was 28.9%. Okay. That was this, that was one of the best quarterbacks, the third best quarterback advance rate, but Geno Smith was only drafted on 969 teams. Like as awesome as Geno Smith was, the field didn't feel him as much. Like he was only drafted on a quarter of the leagues. So it was a little different. But if you had Geno Smith, you had somebody that no one else had in Best Ball Mania because we thought maybe Drew Locke was the starter. I don't know. Uh, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> That's exactly to think about, what it was, Kyle. Yeah. So it's really interesting to look at advance rates to talk about them, but you have to look at them in a couple different ways. So why don't you go and then I'll kind of give some more, uh, some more information about why we use them and how to not use them yeah before we even get to like that stuff just thinking about advance rates like we always come back to it you know these round one guys round two guys that are drafted to be elite like their advance rates aren't going to be incredible because everyone around them is also great but how you win in best ball is trying to identify or find these guys that are going as values that are just going to exceed adp like crazy like you mentioned a couple of those names on the list that were just going way later than maybe they should have been or um maybe it wasn't easy to see but they just happened to be great value picks whatever it is but we often talk about stacking right like stacking is so important in best ball you got to stack if you want to win all of these things are, are conclusive when you look at the data but what isn't necessarily as conclusive to a lot of people and i still see it in the drafts that i'm in is people think they got to go in and they got to get a stack no matter what. I have Justin Jefferson. I need Kirk Cousins. I got to get him four rounds ahead of ADP. If you're taking Kirk Cousins in the eighth round or the seventh round, 
when you could be taking him in the 11th round, think about it. Like if you're going to go to the store and you're going to buy, I don't know, a sandwich, whatever, you're going to pay $5 for it. Or you're going to pay $3 for it if it's listed as $3. You're going to pay $3, right? Like you don't want to make the market change so much that you have to have a stack completed to change your ADP values. Because if you reach for guys and you don't get them at ADP values, it's it plummets your advance rate. So one example that I'm just kind of looking at right now is um, is the Mahomes-Kelsey stack. We talked about it. Do I think Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey are bad picks? Of course not. They're going to be great. They're incredible. They always are. But think about what that combination of players has to do as your one and two pick versus right now, for example, you talked about Geno Smith going off the board as quarterback 16. DK Metcalf, sure, he's pricey. He's wide receiver 15. Tyler Lockett's wide receiver 32. You can get that combination of players and they can be good for you, but they don't have to be elite and still be really good best ball picks, right? So that's kind of the understanding of, of ADP, how it works as a market, and understanding that win rate and advance rate comes from hitting on these guys that are going to exceed expectation. When you are playing in a tournament like Best Ball Mania, it is one of the worst feelings after the summer when you start drafting a player that has been steamed up while the rest of the group has been drafting this player five or six rounds behind. Like The favorites that you and I love joking about, Marquez Calloway. I don't know if you remember him. Former Saints wide receiver. He's now in the Broncos. He had a preseason where he caught a couple long bombs. He's kind of thought of to be a sneaky guy. You know, the the wide receiver room with the Saints at the time was not good. This was two years ago. And Marquez Callaway went from being an 18th round pick to, you know, 15, 16, he's a flyer, to he ended up being in the ninth round. And so when you start drafting players with that big of a gap, you are playing against other teams in a tournament that could just wipe the floor with you because they're getting players in the ninth round that you can't get at all. No, it happens in reverse, right? Where players can move down, but usually things get sharper over time. You might be able to avoid injuries if you draft later, and that's a whole other discussion. When should you draft? I think our advice is just draft. Just have fun. <laughs> like, Just draft whenever. But it, it, it changes how you look at players. By the way, Marcos Kelo was, was so bad for best ball. Like, he was a terrible pick last year and the year before <laughs> did anyone draft him last year <laughs> i think we were talking about his two years ago because i remember that preseason game very very vividly um one name from last year that does come to mind by the way though jalen tolbert oh right? god oh brother this guy got who steamed up like crazy third round pick dallas cowboys i think he played the same number of snaps as you on the entire season you know was like a 12th round pick and that doesn't sound egregious but when you think about where he was going and where he was trending because of the hype and what could be, obviously, it was a landmine. Um, it happens every year. Romeo Dobbs, right? We see that preseason highlight yes. catches that go ball from Aaron Rodgers, and it's like, oh, I got to get that guy. All of a sudden, if you took him in round 17 or 18, like, great. Now your opponents are taking him in round 11. That is not ideal. So you don't want to be chasing that type of stuff if you already have better ADP values, which is why... I think it's important to draft all summer long. So you're getting some of those guys early in these tournaments right now. You're telling me that I need a portfolio. Oh, so, that, yes. You need a spreadsheet. You need folders. You need you need a fancy desk. You need everything, Kyle. And the best part is on whatever platform you use, you can look at your exposures, and then you can ex- compare with your friends, you know, your, your portfolio. And over the summer, that's just the talk. Like, have you seen my best ball portfolio? 
and where I'm at with certain players. And people screenshot that stuff. That's fine. It's fun. Um, Jalen Tolbert. This is my this, this is the only trivia fact Jalen Tolbert is going to have in the NFL, by the way. He was a four-year player out of South Alabama that they took in the third round for some odd reason. He is the highest drafted rookie wide receiver from the third round in best ball history. How? You ask because rookies get steamed up. I will talk about that more next week in the advanced kind of theory portion. But right now might be the cheapest that you're going to get certain rookies. Like there are some rookies that people might be taking like in the, at the very end of their drafts that are going to end up being what? Like 13th, 14th round pick, maybe even in the, in, in the top 10. It's going to happen. I I just need a sidebar here. Dalton Kincaid. Oh, right now. I knew you were going to bring it up. <laughs> I, I This is driving me insane. Dalton Kincaid is about to be a top 12 tight end pick in best ball. That is insane to me, people. I, I, I usually I say pick whoever. I don't care. For a rookie tight end to go that high and over Dawson Knox too already is just lighting your pick on fire, in my opinion. Am I crazy? Yeah, I, I haven't taken him yet. I'll just say that. So when I'm I on will not be taking him get at to that, that point, it feels like a player that I'm willing to be wrong on at that price. If he was yes. going as tight end 19, 20, and I have Josh Allen, yeah, throw him in a stack. I love that. But that's what it comes back to is opportunity cost. And, yes, he's going really high and ahead of some wide receivers that I'd rather have too. So he could make us look silly <laughs> this time next year. But early in the process, that looks like a decent fade in my opinion. Yeah, so we'll talk about more ADP and where to you know kind of take a stab at certain players. Let me give you the top 10 last year in advance rate on underdogs best ball mania, okay? And, and you can just quickly say, like, yes, I, I, I was there, or no, I was way far behind. Josh Jacobs was the best player in Best Ball Mania, 46%. I was not nearly close. Sad time. I think I had two teams. Yeah, with the read that we had, remember, last offseason, like, they clearly didn't like him, didn't pick up his option. They yep. added some players. It's Josh McDaniels. It's going to be a committee. That's what he's always done. He brought over Brandon Bolden. They drafted Zamir White. And, and the funny thing is, I didn't draft any of those other players either. Like, I didn't draft Zamir White. I didn't really draft Brandon Bolden. Uh, I was just like, I just missed. I just totally whiffed. And I think most people uh, whiffed on Josh Jacobs last year. Next one, Tyreek Hill was going at the 2-3 turn at 21st overall. And I have to say, I somehow lucked into having Tyreek Hill being in my top five of, of wide receiver exposures. And it was solely this. If I didn't take Michael Pittman there, I took Tyreek Hill at that same exact spot. But it also meant I missed out on a lot of A.J. Brown. I took a lot of Tyreek Hill last year as well, fortunately. Um, kind of covered me a little bit with the Josh Jacobs stuff. But, yeah, you know, when you see these guys that are – you're used to taking them in round one that kind of slip to the two, three turn or round three because of some different circumstances – you know, just ask yourself kind of why that's happening. And we're seeing, I think, this trend maybe is debunked for these elite guys that are changing teams. This used to be a huge fate on players changing teams. We saw it with Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, you know, Steph Diggs goes to, to Buffalo. It happens year after year with these elite guys. I'm not sure it's going to happen with the ancillary pieces, but these elite guys that slip because they change teams, um, I'm not sure that's right. Tony Pollard comes in next at 35%. Jalen Hurts, 34%. Miles Sanders, 32%. We got a lot of Eagles, which makes sense. Had a pretty good year. I will say, 
I was a year behind on Tony Pollard because I really liked him a couple years ago. Jalen Hurts, I was about at uh, market of where he was. But I had a lot of Miles Sanders. And here's the reason. Miles Sanders was a pretty late pick. He went 88th overall. And I don't think there's many people banging the drum for Miles Sanders. I wasn't one of them. But I was overweight on him simply because the vibes were so bad that I thought the opportunity, like the reward, outweighed uh, the risk of, let's say he gets double-digit touchdowns. Like, let's just let's just assume that. If I can get him as my RB3 on some builds, RB2, and he breaks out. like So he was a bet on a player that I didn't totally believe in, but the value, you know, he got pushed down to being, you know, 90th or so in a lot of drafts. Yeah, and I think he's a great example of recency bias and trying to take advantage of it in the market. The, the idea around him was, well, he doesn't stay healthy, and, you know, he's going to lose work, and uh, last year he couldn't even score a touchdown. Well, we know that's a little fluky. One name that comes to mind this year with that sort of stuff at the wide receiver position is Deontay Johnson, who last summer was going as like a round four-ish pick, and, you know, now it's kind of dropping into round five, round six sometimes because the dude had the most targets ever in the NFL history without a touchdown. Like, we're going to see that swing in the right direction. So, yeah, be careful of recency bias in best ball. Let's talk about a couple of those players. So, Jamal Williams was a great pick last year at 31st or 31%. Patrick Mahomes killed it. And Travis Kelsey both at 30%. If you had that stack, you were sitting pretty. I mentioned Geno Smith. And then rounding out the top 10 <clears throat> is a player named Amon Ross St. Brown at Ooh, 28%. I'd see, it shocked me he was this high. Because I wouldn't say Amon Ra was great. I think he was really good. And, and maybe I'm still biased. But would you say he was like incredibly great? Like he was more safe, high floor for most of the year. I mean, he did have a couple of massive weeks. But he also missed a couple of weeks with injury. So it is kind of interesting to see him this high. I wouldn't have thought that maybe he'd make the top 10. But, you know, for a guy that was going sometimes in round six, like, that's what it's about, right? It's finding these guys that just smashed their ADP, which I don't know if there was anyone that may have predicted anything that, like that that could have happened for a guy like Amon Ross no. Brown. I wish there was no. a podcast that did have that on it. Um, but that's what it's all about. You know, beat your ADP. And these guys on the list all did it. Yeah, we're still waiting on him to break out. That's that's the thing. It'll we're happen. still waiting. <laughs> Real quick before we move on, uh, he's a round two pick right now. Are you taking him in round two? No. Okay, I'm just checking. I'm just asking. On a on a half PPR site where I'm asking the Lions to be as efficient in their touchdowns, I will be underweight. And I know that I, I'm just a stick in the mud here. What about you? <laughs> uh, I actually kind of agree, and it's not that I don't think he can be good. It's right, just that right. what he has to do. Like, he's going as a top 12 wide receiver, if I remember correctly. I just looked at it before we recorded. If not, he's, like, in the top 14. Very different than when he was going as, like, the wide receiver 25. You know, that's what it, that's that's the conversation. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little hesitant at that ADP. Yeah, and just to be clear, best ball, what you're asking a player to do is very different than saying, is he a good pick and redraft? Or is he going to be good this year? Okay? So, like, I remember last year, like, we said something about Derrick Henry. And saying, like, here's what Derrick Henry has to do. And Derrick Henry was good. Notice that he's not in this top 10 list, okay? He was good last year. He wasn't historically great for what he needed to do to pay off at his ADP. So that's all we're saying. Amon Ra, take him in your drafts. Like, I want him on my teams this year in redraft. Like, I would love that. But this is a different conversation of what we're talking about in best ball. Last thing I'll say about advance rates and win rates 
information like this is descriptive of what happened last year. It's not necessarily prescriptive. I, I, this is the hardest thing I have in having conversations on Twitter and not saying I'm right or, you know, uh, there's flawed ways of how I look at things. But what happened last year is descriptive of this is what happened. You cannot just copy and paste. This player had a 28% target share. They will have a 28% target share this year. You know, uh, Jamal Williams had a 31% advance rate. Like, that's not happening again on the Saints. I'm sorry, because he's going to be boosted up. Same thing with Josh Jacobs uh, because of his ADP. So keep that in mind. Any data, but especially in best ball, it is descriptive. It describes it. It's fun to look at, but you can't just copy and paste for 2023. Last thing here, let's talk about the difference between conviction and having player bias. Because, yes, I have a player bias towards Amon Ra, and I can say that out loud. But my conviction early on when you ask me is, at his ADP, is he going to be a good you know, player? Last year, Michael Pittman, I had conviction that I think he was going to have a good year. He had 99 receptions. If you would have told me at the beginning of the year that Michael Pittman had 99 receptions, what would have been your conclusion if you just had that piece of information, Betts? I'm taking him every time. Right. You would have said that's great. <laughs> that's great. I'll all take he it. did, all he had is just you know the lowest PPR points ever for any player with 99 receptions. Like is it was bad. <laughs> it was really really bad. So we're trying to sort between having a certain conviction to have a bias and then also having a portfolio approach. Like that's what we're trying to do when we play best ball. So I had a lot of Michael Pittman, but I also drafted some teams where I said, what if I'm just wrong? at this spot. And so I had a lot of Tyree kill in that spot, which saved me. So what would you say the difference is when you are at a certain spot in the draft between, I have a conviction about this player. I have a bias about this player. And then I need to create a portfolio where I could be wrong. And I should think about drafting this player too. Yeah. This is the toughest part of best ball because it feels good to get in a pattern of what you think is right in round two, three, four. These are my guys. You know, these are my late round targets. And like we talked about earlier, you have to leave room to be wrong. Otherwise, you will get no Josh Jacobs. You will get no Amonar St. Brown. You know, you will you won't get the Seahawks stack, which everyone thought was going to be the laughing stock of the league last year. You have to be willing to be wrong and be accepting of that because if you just have take lock on guys, it could work out and you could smash all those guys, or you know, you could have a terrible year in best ball, which certainly happens. So my advice would be, you know, there's some people out there that argue player takes don't matter in best ball. I disagree because if you didn't have player takes, you wouldn't have had a high exposure to Amon Ra or Ramondre Stevenson, who we were all over last year. You have to have player takes, but you also have to be willing to cap your exposure. You know, it's not like I'm taking Ramondre Stevenson every single time in round nine, round 10. I could see the path where Damian Harris last year still held the job and was incredible and scored all the touchdowns. So I think player takes matter. I just think you need to be willing to cap your exposure at a certain level. If you're, if like again, if you're only drafting like five or six teams, do your thing, call your shots. But if you are drafting a hundred teams or, or whatever it is, I think being mindful of those exposure levels are very, very important. Cole Komet was a painful experience last year because I said earlier, Justin Fields my number one exposure quarterback, so it makes sense to get a cheap stack of those two. Do you remember what Cole Komet did at the very beginning of the year? Because it was trash, like to the point where he was goosing like week after week. And then luckily, Cole Komet had a couple of spike weeks that redeemed him. I think he ended up being like the tight end seven, which doesn't really matter at the end of the day. But 
better than where he we thought he was going to end. But those are the kind of things where it was like, okay, well, Cole Komet's kind of the tight end I keep ending up with. You know, at tight end, I think he ended up at tight end 12, like an ADP, which was fine. But I needed to give myself exposure to a couple other places. So keep that in mind. It's okay to have a list of players. You and I will have a list of players that we really like. And I think we just need to finish finish this show on a player that will skyrocket an ADP. That is my favorite player for 2023 outside of Keenan Allen, Chris Olave, like I, who I already love. He's my my guy. And Betts has identified him as the player that we could say right now, get him while he's hot. And we didn't even talk about this, by the way, before. So we are in Simpatico, no. which, um, you know, what could go wrong? Right now, I think we should be drafting a player who will probably be going as a top 10 tight end in a month and a half, two months. When everyone starts to come around to the situation, when everyone starts talking about it on podcasts and writing articles about Chig Okonkwo as the breakout tight end this year, will he break out? I'm not sure. Yes, but, he will. But when you look at the data and stats that actually do tend to be predictive in terms of how these guys become fantasy relevant tight ends, we're talking about yards per run, yards after the catch, explosiveness, and athleticism. And he checks all the boxes. Last year, among tight ends who saw 30-plus targets, Chig ranked first in yards per route run, 2.61, is elite, first in yards per catch at 14, and tied for first in yards after the catch per reception. Look at the Tennessee depth chart. Can you name, Kyle, right now, the wide receiver two behind Traylon Burks? Uh, Nick Westbrook, Akine, Kyle Phillips, <laughs> Racy McMath. One of those... Bruins. I am so impressed that you actually were able to rattle those off. I feel like a lot of people don't even know like who the wide receiver two is right now. So the opportunity is definitely there. I'm not saying Jig Conklet was going to finish the, as the tight end three, but we know the ADP closing line value was very good for advance rates. So I'm going to be taking a lot of Chig right now as my tight end two in my two tight end builds. And, you know, maybe this summer when he gets to like tight end six, tight end seven, maybe I fade him then. But right now I think we can get him at a really good price round 12, um, I think he's going to go a lot higher come August. Yeah, it's. Can I just vent here and just say, it's going to be sad that I've had this special moment with Chig, you know, over the last three or four months. We've gotten really close. I have looked at a lot of spreadsheets with Chig Quanquo's name in it. Looked at some college film, put out some tweets of him and you know his catches. I watched all of his targets, all of his twenty-plus yard receptions. I mean, Chig, Chig is my my guy this year. And wow, you're saying that in May. Oh, I said it, and Andy and I had a discussion about it as well. Like he's he's on the board right now as oh. potentially one of their like breaking news. We are that yeah, and then we had that uh, things to remember episode, and I got to give my final take. It's just it's more of what Betts is talking about: the metrics that matter and the price. Okay, so when you say tight end fourteen, that's nothing. You could actually whiff on Chickaconquo. And be okay with if you had a three tight end build. In redraft, same thing. Go for Chigakonquo. If he completely whiffs, you can just pick up somebody else. He's one of the best picks in my mind, based on the athleticism and everything else we like. And the target competition is is just stupid, like you mentioned. So Chigakonquo, we're telling you right now, draft him. And draft him in three tight end builds. Draft him in two tight end builds. Like, would you be happy if you did start with a Kelsey or Andrews? And Chig was your tight end too. If I take Kelsey, I'm probably not taking tight end until like round 17 or 16 or something. So I probably wouldn't take him in those builds. But yeah, if you're getting like a 
I don't know, Kyle Pitts and Chico Conquo or Dallas Goddard, kind of the that mid round and then Chico Conquo. That I like. Or if you are gonna just punt the position completely, take him as your tight end one and then grab a couple dudes after that and you know, the opportunity cost is so low. So get him now before he's going as a top ten tight end. Yes, and we'll be giving all of our rankings, like we mentioned, a best ball primer where we walk through every team. You can look at their ADP. We talk about our highest exposure. Here's the metrics that matter for this team. And then here's how you can approach this team. Like, okay, you know, this player, you know, Justin Herbert's going in the fifth round. Well, you know, you can stack him at the turn with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, or you can wait and get Quentin Johnson like another three rounds later. You can bring it back with a late round Gerald Everett. Like we talk about all the combinations and way that you can combine it in the Ultimate Draft Kit Plus. If you want to get that, go to ultimatedraftkit.com. And if you stuck around, the promo code DFSPOD saves you even more money if you're stupid enough to try it out. Bets, sign us off. <laughs> if you're stupid enough to try it out, just call us <laughs> if you're stupid and close out the show. Why don't we do that? Thank you for tuning into this episode of the show. We're back next week. It is officially best ball season. The summer of best ball is here. Let's have fun. Go get some chicken conquo. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fantasy Footballers DFS Embedding Podcast. Don't forget to visit us on the web at thefantasyfootballers.com.